This morning we continue our study through the book of Romans. And we come to chapter 15 of Romans. And we look, we begin in verse 14. So follow in your Bibles as I read, beginning in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore of where I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should be built upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he, ha- he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have, have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I, may be, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have, have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give an understanding as we look at this passage. We know that the passage reveals to us the prophet or the apostle uh, Paul, something about his heart and his ministry. And so, Lord, help us to understand that. And I pray that uh, for myself that I might be uh, like Paul was in many ways and I might be a faithful minister of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that all of us might realize that we too are servants of Jesus Christ and we're to be what you want us to be in serving you. Now, Lord, just give enablement to bring the message. And if there's somebody here today who's troubled, Lord, I pray that you might uh, help them and, and to bear those, those burdens they have, help them to trust you more. For that person who's never accepted you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day they do that. 
And we commit the service to you and ask for your enablement. And we pray for your blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 13. And we saw how we as a church are to serve the Lord together. To effectively do that, we found that, that we need to show God's heart, we need to seek God's honor, and we need to stand in God's hope. A church that does that will shine for Christ. But it cannot be denied that a church will never serve the Lord together if the, if the pastor of the church is not right. So you could sort of breathe a sigh of relief today that I'm not so much preaching to you as I am preaching to me. Because I've entitled the message, The Ideal Minister. And so it's a tough thing to do to tell you what I should be. And yet that's what the scripture, I think, tells us in this passage. The pastor cannot expect to be, for his people to be something that he is not. And therefore it's important for the pastor to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, not a fake not somebody that's pretending, but somebody that's real. If the people are to follow the pastor, then it's, then it's essential that the pastor follow the Lord. Because if they follow the pastor and he's not following the Lord, we will all go astray and will not do anything for the Lord. As we examine the passage this morning, it's obvious that Paul is talking about himself. He begins in verse 14, says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ. And he mentions I several times in the passage, so he's talking about himself. He writes of his thoughts, he writes of his ministry, his plans, and his desires. As we read his words, we get a picture of what kind of man that Paul was. As we get a picture of what kind of man Paul was, you get a picture of what kind of a person an ideal minister is to be because Paul was truly an ideal minister. Every church wants an ideal minister. Some time ago, somebody handed me this. I don't know what the purpose was, but they handed me this. And it says, the perfect pastor. Here's the description of the perfect pastor in the form of a, like a chain letter. If any of you remember the chain letters, you know, you don't dare break it or something bad will happen. Well, here it is. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. Well, I failed that test. <laughs> he condemns sin roundly but never hurts anybody's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. till midnight and is also the church's janitor. The perfect pastor makes $100 a week. See, this is written some time ago. Wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $50 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. <laughs> he is, above all, handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior, senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. He makes 15 calls a day on his people and is always in his office to be, to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for the church and all its committees and subcommittees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and he is always busy evangelizing the church. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this letter to six other churches that are tired of their pastors too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them should be perfect. <laughs> Caution. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three weeks. <laughs> 
So I guess you uh, don't want to follow that advice or, or do that uh, chain letter. Here's another one I thought was interesting. Uh, how a pastor can know that his honeymoon is over. Many years ago, I had a friend. His name was Billy Martin. He was well-known in, in southern areas, a great speaker and a pastor and then evangelist, and he just did a great job. He told me one time many years ago, he says, Earl, he says, you can tell when the honeymoon is over when you go to a new church. The first year, it's kitty kitty. The second year, it's kitty cat. And the third year, it's scat cat. <laughs> well, you know, that's sad but true. You know, the average pastor, I think, stays at a church about three years. And there's a big rotation of pastors. But uh, here's how a pastor can know his honeymoon's over. You return from vacation to find the visiting guest preacher's name on your mailbox. Your church is about to split and neither group wants you. Shut-ins pull the window shades and pretend they aren't home when you come to visit. When your mom moves her, moves her membership to another church, or this could be worse, when your wife moves, moves her membership to another church. Uh, the trustees have been marching around your house the last six days praying and carrying lanterns. The congregation forces the members of the pulpit committee to wear sackcloth and make a public apology. And then this was good. You show up at the church only to discover the locks have been changed. And this would be really bad when I'm glad Diana hasn't done this. It says the church secretary starts sending out your resume. (laughs) And this is the worst, I guess. And Christmas is coming. It says you're cast as the donkey in the Christmas play. (laughs) Well, but uh, we want to be an ideal pastor. That should be the desire of every pastor. So in this passage, it gives us a glimpse of Paul, and we can find some things about him that made him the ideal minister. First of all, he was committed. We see that in verses 15 to 21. Paul knew what he was supposed to do, and he set out to do it. The focus of his life was the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He was committed to that ministry. His ministry was particular. He knows what he's doing. He had a particular message, and that was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's it's so true that a pastor needs to make sure that he presents the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean that every service should be an evangelistic service. I've known of some like that, which a pastor only preaches evangelistic sermons. That's not good for the church. Because the church needs to know the whole counsel of God and and study the scripture and know the scripture. But it's very important to include the gospel because without the gospel, there would be nothing else. And so it's very important. So Paul was focused and he had a particular message and that was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in the first part of Romans, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he, he centered on the gospel. Also, he had a particular uh, people. He, he had a, a ministry to a particular people. For Paul, it wasn't like everybody else. He had a particular ministry, and that was he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Yes, he served. He spoke to kings. He sp- spoke to Israelites. But his main focus was the Gentiles. And so his missionary journeys took him uh, 
pretty much all over the known world at that time, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a minister to the Gentiles. He did it in a, in a particular way, and that is by the power of God. He said, Christ hath wrought in me, by me. And so the Lord was working his life. It was the power of God. He says in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. He also did it in a particular way, and that was for the sake of Christ. Verse 30 says, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and also by the will of God, he said in verse 32. So he was committed to a ministry that was particular. It was specific. Also, his ministry was purposeful. He knew, he knew why he was doing it. The Bible says in verse 16, it's an interesting uh, thing that's, that's said there. Look at verse 16. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. A word that's used in, the, in our Bibles and translated in our Bible, servant, is the word that's also translated deacon. And it's the word that means servant and or a minister. Uh, but here this word is different. This is a word that's used in priestly, uh, priestly ways. And so it's a, it's a minister serving as a priest in a way. He's, notice how he says it, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that, is off, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Paul saw his ministry like this. He ministered the word of God. He shared the gospel. And his purpose was when people heard the gospel, they got saved. And it was like him saying, Lord, this one's for you. You know, I've, this, I led this one to the Lord. It's for you, Lord. I offer this up to you. And so all over the Gentile world, he spread the gospel. And people came to know the Lord as their Savior. And so Paul was a minister. And he was offering these souls up to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's another one. And he shared the gospel and ministered to them. So his ministry was purposeful. His ministry was also precious, you might say. Look at verse 15. He says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written to more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Paul counted a very precious thing that he was a minister of the gospel. He says, by the grace of God. You see, Paul never forgot who he was. He never forgot that he was a person who beforehand was, was putting Christians to death. He was persecuting the church. He was feared by everybody who was a Christian. And Paul knew that. And the Lord had met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life completely. And Paul never got over the fact that he was a minister of the gospel. It was the grace of God that he was able to do that. And so he said, it's precious to me. It's by the grace of God that I'm able to do this. He was also passionate about this ministry that he was committed to. Look at look what it says in verse 15. I have written more boldly unto you. I am written boldly unto you. Verse 19, I have fully preached the gospel. Verse 20, so I have strived to preach the gospel. He was serious about this. He was passionate about this. He was excited about this. He was ready to preach the gospel. In the book of Romans chapter 1, he says, I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. And so Paul had a, had a particular ministry that he had that was the ministry of the, of the gospel. And so he was, he was very focused on that. Also, he was, his ministry was one of compassion. In this passage, we find that Paul was a compassionate man. He cared for people. I tell you, you can have someone who's very, uh, very able. Uh, you know, they're very able to preach the message uh, they're eloquent in their style and all of that, and that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But if a person doesn't have a caring heart, they're going to fail the Lord as a minister. So an ideal minister has to have a compassionate heart. And so Paul had that. He had compassion for the unsaved. He showed that in the fact that he was ministered to the gospel. He says from Jerusalem, look at verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way around unto Illyricum. Illyricum was way up on the, on the east of Rome. And it was about 1,400 miles. In those days, to travel 1,400 miles was really something. And it wasn't by car or plane or anything like that. And so Paul ministered in all that area, and he spread the gospel to them. And so he was compassionate to take the gospel to the unsaved. In fact, he had a desire to later go to Spain because Spain hadn't heard. And uh, he wanted to take the gospel to them in Spain. And so Paul was compassionate to the unsaved. Uh, He decided that he was going to go to Spain because it's a place he'd never been. And evidently there weren't others who'd gone there to preach the gospel. He wasn't building on anybody else's foundation. And he looked at it as a wide open mission field. And he was ready to go because he was compassionate for the unsaved. But he was also compassionate for the Christians. We see that for the Roman Christians. He says in verse 23, it says in verse 23, But now having no more place in these parts... And having a great desire these many years to come unto you. You see, his, his focus of ministry was this. And he explains as we read. He said, I don't want to go somewhere and build upon another man's foundation. I don't want to go to places where the gospel hasn't been heard. And so he says in this place, there's no place for me to go right now in this area. I've done all that. I've been to those places And so before I go to Spain, my next place, I want to stop and see you Romans because I really am compassionate about you Romans. And he says in verse 23, I have a great desire these many years to come unto you. In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, I long to see you. So he had a compassion for the Roman, Roman Christians. And he wanted to be with them and help them and fellowship with them and, and just to uh, enjoy some time with them because he loved them. He also had compassion for the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia and then Macedonia as he traveled from, from Jerusalem and went up and around and went through Achaia and then up into Macedonia. And he said, I've led those people to the Lord and I have, I have a compassion for them. I have a desire to help them. Because they had something they wanted to do, and that is to bring an offering to the saints in Jerusalem. And so he wanted to help them in that. He had a compassion for them. It wasn't that Paul came in and says, well, I did my thing. I had the meeting. I had the revival meeting, or I had the time where I taught you the word, and I go on somewhere else, and I just forget about you. Uh, That didn't happen with Paul. He wrote them letters. He cared about them. He had compassion for them. He cared for them. That's one thing that impressed me the other day about Brother Mike, I think since Brother Mike Pelletier was here, uh, he's contacted me at least three times just checking, seeing how things were going because he's still thinking about the church here where he ministered uh, for a week. And so Paul was that way. He had a compassion for the Christians in, in Macedonia and Achaia. He also had a pra- passion, compassion for the Christians in Jerusalem. Now, not all the Christians in Jerusalem were poor, but some of them were. And some of those Christians in, in, in Jerusalem really needed some help. And so he told the Macedonians about that and those in Achaia about that. He told them about it, and they said, let's help those people. And so because of Paul's compassion for them, he hadn't left them and forgot them. He still remembered them 
because of his compassion, they decided they were going to do something to help. And so it's very important that a pastor or a minister be, have compassion for his, for his flock and for his people. I do care for these peop- you people. I care for you. I, I love you. I, I pray for you. But I have to if I want to be approved by the Lord. There's not any, any other way. In order to be an effective minister, an ideal minister, or a person that pleases the Lord, you have to have care for your flock. And so that includes everybody. So when you hurt, I'm supposed to hurt. When you have a prayer request, I'm supposed to be interested in that prayer request. And that's why I share those prayer requests, because I want you to pray for one another, because God wants us to be compassionate one to another. And so Paul was a compassionate uh, minister. He was also a complimentary minister. Look at verse 14. Uh, Verse 14 says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Here's Paul talking to the Romans. He'd never been there. He'd heard a lot about them. And in the middle of this, when he first, in the first part of the chapter, he's telling them how they need to get along, work together, and all of that. And then he tells about himself, but right before he tells about himself, he, st- he brags on them and says, uh, you know, I, I, you are full of goodness, you're filled with all knowledge, you're able also to admonish one another. It's just a, it's just a fact that kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? Uh, you know, it's, it's very important for a minister of the gospel to show kindness to people. It's so important for a minister of the gospel to reach out with kindness. I've made it a practice through the years. If somebody leaves our church, this is in West Virginia and here, if somebody leaves our church, I never have a chip on my shoulder against that person. And if I ever see them, sometimes people leave, I don't have any idea why they left. And they won't tell me, they just left. <laughs> and, uh, but I don't build a barrier there. And if I see them out in the store, I speak to them. And I'm glad to see them. And I ask how they're doing and all that. We don't want to hold those grudges in in our lives. That's not good. It should never be. And uh, you can tell a lot about a church. You can tell a lot about a pastor when you look at the church. And uh, I think we have a a good group of people who love each other. And uh, you don't treat people that way. And I think one reason, and I'm not bragging, but I'm saying one reason is because I don't treat people that way. And we shouldn't do that. We should have a love and compassion for people. And we should compliment people when we can. And we should compliment the things that they do and, and that work they do for the Lord. And we should be complimentary to them. And Paul was that way. You know, Paul sort of showed his heart. He showed that he liked compliments. Now, I know that in, in a way we're not supposed to desire that. Uh, I, I know that, uh, but we all enjoy it. You know, I enjoy when somebody comes out of church and says to me, Pastor, I enjoyed that message. That's good. And I've told you this story, but I've got to tell it again because I think it's so good. It's about the lady that's going, going out of the church, and every Sunday she said, Pastor, it's a powerful message. And uh, every Sunday, powerful message, Pastor. So one Sunday, he really messed up. I mean, he felt like he stammered around and didn't, couldn't get through the message, and he was just wondering what she would say. So he, she went, came out and stuck her hand out, and she said, powerful message, Pastor. He said, wait a minute. 
I know it wasn't a powerful message. I stammered around, and it wasn't a powerful message. She said, well, pastor, it's like this. Some are powerful good, and some are powerful bad. (laughs) Well, regardless, you know, a person likes to be complimented. Now, you hear that when you listen to Paul's heart. Let me read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, he said this. You remember, he's writing to the Corinthians, and Corinthians had trouble. Now, we'll see, well, he bragged on them as well, but he said this, and because of their problems, he had to address those problems sometimes and try to straighten them out. But he said this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul said, I abundantly love you, and I'll continue to do that. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You can sort of sense Paul's heart and his hurt. He was wishing they would compliment him. But he said, that, I'm not living for that. I'm not preaching for that. But I still love you. Paul was a guy who complimented other people. When they did something well, he told them about it. And he praised them for it. And he thanked them for it. And thanked them for their service. Paul was that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read of that. And it's the beginning of the first letter to the Corinthians. And he says this, And I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as, as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye became behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that to the Corinthians. Now later in that same chapter, he really rakes them over the coals for their sin and for what they're doing. But he found something good to praise them for, and he did that. And so Paul was a complimentary uh, minister. Colossians chapter 1, he says, We give thanks to God since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have of all the saints. To the Thessalonians, he said, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. He found something good about them and he complimented them for it. Paul was also a cooperative uh, minister. He was committed, he was compassionate, he was complimentary, and he was cooperative. A cooperative person is one who realizes everybody is important and that you have to work together to get things done for Christ, and Paul was that way. He realized when people needed him, and he realized when they, when, uh, when he, they needed him and he needed them. He realized that, that they had to work together. He was cooperative when people needed him. Verse 28 says that. Well, let's look at verse 25, first of all. He says, Uh, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And then in verse 28, he says, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And so what was Paul doing? Well, these people needed Paul. The suffering saints in Jerusalem needed him. And the, the saints in Macedonia and Achaia needed him because he was the one to take the take the gift that they had gathered to, for the poor saints, take it to uh, the uh, saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul cooperated with them. He didn't say, no, I have more important things to do. He said, I'll be glad to do that. And he cooperated with them in their service to the Lord. 
He cooperated when people needed him. He also cooperated when he needed people. And uh, see, people uh, are needed by everyone. There's no, no minister that's self-sufficient. We all need one another. And uh, a minister needs the people. The people need him. And so he needed them to pray for him. Notice what he says in verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God. That you strive together with me. Paul said, I need you. You need me, I need you. And you need to strive together with me. That's what a prayer letter is from our missionaries. When missionaries write a prayer letter, our missionary of the week this week is Christian Law Association. There's a write-up in our bulletin about that. And uh, they need us to pray for them because they're representing so many people in these troublesome times. And they do it free of charge and uh, defending people's religious liberties and their right, right to be a witness and all those things. And so they need our prayers and they write to us and ask us to pray. That's biblical and that's what Paul did. Paul said, I want you to pray for me. And so he wants you to, he wanted them to strive together with him in prayer. Now, what were they to pray for? Remember, he's going to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, he's going to deliver this money. But at Jerusalem, they're, they're Gentiles and they're Jews. And uh, he says to this Jerusalem church, some of these poor suffering saints, he said, I need to take the money to them. And he says, I want you to pray that we'll be delivered from them that do not believe. Paul knew when he went back to Jerusalem, there were enemies there. He'd been warned about that. And uh, there were enemies there that, might, that could, uh, you know, take his life. And he knew about that. And he said, I want you to pray. Now, when we get to heaven, we look back and see, and God reveals to us why Paul was not killed in Jerusalem. The answer will be twofold, because it wasn't God's will at that time, but in connection with that, it was because people prayed. And maybe some unknown saint that is never mentioned in the Scripture in one of these churches was praying because Paul told him to. He was praying for Paul as he went to Jerusalem that God would deliver him, and God did. Paul planned to go to, to uh, Rome as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. He was a preacher prisoner, but he went as a prisoner. He didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. But God protected him, and so God answered their prayers. He said, I want you to pray for deliverance from enemies. Then notice also he said, I want you to pray for acceptance by believers. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in the Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. I want you to pray that the saints will accept my service. You see, there were some saints there that probably didn't like what Paul was doing either. There were some saints there that uh, they probably were Christians, but they were still hung up on Judaism. And Paul taught them to uh, go away from that and not to... Uh, not, they didn't have to remember all those special days and all of that. They were free now in Christ. And so there were some that didn't like Paul there. And he says, uh, pray that uh, my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. And so he's wanting them to pray about these, 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 these things. These were serious things to Paul, and Paul wanted them to pray. And so he said, I need, to, I need you to cooperate with me. I cooperate with you. You cooperate with me. We must work together. And then he asked them to pray for his journey to them. 
Remember, he's writing to the Romans. He said, I want you to pray for my journey to you, that I may come unto you. Notice how he says it in verse 32. He says, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. As I said, he had no idea how he was going to get there. He didn't know that it was going to be as a prisoner. He didn't know that at the end of the journey, the ship would be wrecked from a storm. He didn't know that the only way they would be saved is those who could swim, swim aboard, uh, to the shore, and those who couldn't hang on to some boards and make it. But they all made it. Paul didn't know that at that time. But he said, I want you to pray for me that uh, my journey, will, that I'll be, come to you with joy. And, of course, Paul did. He made the journey. It was a difficult journey, but he made it. Why did he make it? Well, again, part of the answer is he made it because people prayed. So Paul was a person, a minister, who had a cooperative spirit. He was, uh, he was, comp- he was uh, working with other people. He was cooperating with them, and he wanted them to cooperate with him. And it's true of a minister of the gospel in any church. There'll never be anything done for Christ unless we work together. And you must work together. We must work together in reaching people for Jesus. We must work together in being kind one to another and encouraging one another and helping one another and loving one another. We must work together in presenting that, that testimony to the, to the locality around us that these people love Jesus and you can tell it because they love each other. We must work together, and if, as we work together, the Lord will bless. And there's one final characteristic of Paul that I see in this passage, and that is he had a ministry that was Christ-centered. It was all about Jesus. Paul's ministry was Christ-centered. I thought it interesting in these few verses. Verse 16, he's a minister of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, that I may glorify, that I may glory through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, things which Christ hath wrought by me. Verse 19, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Verse 20, I strive to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, but where Christ was not named. I want to tell them about Christ. Verse 29, the gospel of Christ. Verse 30, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. It's all about Christ. It's for him. You see, Paul's ministry was not to build up Paul. His ministry was to build up the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many times today, it's sad but true that there are ministers of the gospel who use God's people as stepping stones. They use God's people as stepping stones. They go to a church for the purpose of this being a stepping stone to a better church or a bigger church or a bigger salary. We should never look at it that way. We should be where God wants us to be, ministering how God wants us to minister. If God decides to move, that's fine. But it's not God's people should never be treated as stepping stones. I believe that firmly. I've seen too much of it, and I don't think it's right. And we are to be Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And so Paul was the ideal minister. He was committed. He was compassionate. He was complimentary. He was cooperative, and he was Christ-centered. May God help me to be that. And the Bible says that you, as God's people, are to follow those who follow Christ. And if I follow Christ, that just means you also are to be committed. You also are to be compassionate, complimentary to one another. You're to be cooperative, and you're to be Christ-centered. Your life is to be that way.
we're all that way, to be that way, if we're to be what God wants us to be, the ideal minister of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to share from this passage, Lord, some things about Paul that we hope will be true about us. Help us to be, Lord, what you want us to be, not for our glory, but for you, because it's all about Jesus. Lord, I just ask that you might have your will now as we sing an invitation song, and I pray that if anyone here needs to make a decision, that they would do that today as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.